but with the hunger and the drive and the desire to love people well. I think um, in a generation full of Christians, our, our, our community is really strong. We are Christ followers. We're not just Christians. We don't want a religion. We want a relationship. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Blum, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Yeah, good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen, but actually it is episode for special series where we, yeah, discuss with uh, a num- sometimes three, sometimes five uh, students or people or students that are already finished um, about what drives them, you know, and, and especially uh, what drives them to be engaged in civil society. Um and as always, I ask my guests to introduce themselves. So, uh, Mary, maybe you can start. Yeah, of course. I'm Mary. Um, I was I went to undergrad at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, and graduated with a social entrepreneurship degree um, with the emphasis in faith, culture, and ethics. And now I work for Belmont. I work for the president's office and um, am an ambassador for all the things that Belmont is doing for the Belmont of tomorrow. So social innovation, storytelling, um and impact social impact so great that's that's kind of my job within CWS. <laughs> <So. laughs> um who would like to go next i can i am maddie i just also graduated last may um from baylor university in waco texas um, I graduated with a business degree focusing on entrepreneurship and marketing, and now I'm also working for Belmont University. I'm working in the Office of Admissions, and I'm also going to be starting my Master's of Business soon, so really excited about that. I'm also really passionate about social entrepreneurship. Great. I'm Jillian. I'm originally from California, so I just graduated from Chapman University, Orange County, and moved out here to Nashville in August, and I'm getting my master's in strategic communication and leadership at Belmont. So that's what brought me to Nashville. And then I met these lovely ladies through Ethos. And so we're in house church together. It's been so wonderful. Um, and then I'm also actually working a remote job for a wedding coordination business based on the island of Oahu, Hawaii. And so I'm the communication director on the remote team for our wedding coordination team. Although I, I can imagine that if you have to do something in Hawaii, you want to be there and not to work remote. But uh, <laughs> and it's I know, small, I know. Yeah, it's it's a small world though, because we are also going to do a roundtable with Chapman University. So, because one of the advisors of our um, innovation hub uh, teaches at uh, Chapman, so uh, Marshall Toplansky. Oh my goodness, that's yeah. so wonderful. Yeah, Love small that. world, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and we are also joined by Diana. Maybe you can quickly introduce yourself as well. Although you're listening in, but still, uh, that the listeners know who's on the who's on the call. Yeah, hi, sorry. Um, I just love <laughs> the apartment, so I'll spare you all the um the the background aesthetic. Um yes, I'm Diana Mearson. I'm the community engagement manager for the CWS Innovation Hub. Um I've been working with Maurice for about five, eight years now, just trying to figure out how to engage with new audiences, specifically younger audiences. Um, and so right now we're working on the roundtables together. Um, and yeah, I'm also getting my master's in international relations, international relations right now here in New York City. Um, yeah, so that's me. Great. Thanks, Diana. Okay, then, then you know, the, the, the title of our roundtable discussions is what drives youth engagement in civil society, but Actually, the title that that we kind of use, you know, 
um, informally is what makes you stick talk. Um, so yeah, so who would like to start? What makes you tick? Mary, maybe you start. What drives you in life? Yeah. Well, why do you get out of bed in the morning? Yeah. Um, I feel like over the last couple of years, this is a question I've asked myself quite a bit. And um, it's definitely changed flavors. But I think the essence and the meat of why I get out of bed in the morning has definitely stayed consistent through most of my life. So I grew up in a Christian household. I grew up um, in a household that really loved to serve people and was a host home for a lot of our friends, um, my friends growing up in different constituency groups. And so I think for me, when I think about why do I get out of bed, it is for the idea of how can I do kingdom work? How do I impact the people that I come into contact with daily? Um, how do I build that kingdom relationship? And um, I'm currently working on a presentation for um, my job. And one of the things that I talk a lot about is just the power of relationship. And so when I wake up in the morning, if I personally were to sit behind a desk um, from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. and not talk to anyone, to me, that would be a day that's not very fulfilling or rewarding or encouraging. And so the things that drive me are not necessarily money and success, but definitely relational um, relational impact and specifically Christian impact, kingdom impact. And so is that something that you, uh, you, have, you know, got from home, from your parents, your caretakers, or how did that go? Yeah, definitely. So I think it was modeled really well um, in with my parents. And then mm -hmm. also I'm from small town, Indiana. And so um, my community is very small and we're a very tight knit community. So not only did my parents model it well, but it was modeled well within um, the people that I was surrounded with in that community. And um, then going to college, it definitely took a shape of its own as I kind of had to figure out what that looks like in my life and for me. And um, then I think that now, <clears throat> even just being part of a young adults group that has very similar values, um, it's really instilled in me the drive to um, continue on that path of hosting and of um, just um, impacting the world because there are people that will do it with you. It's the idea of external pouring out, but also being internally poured into. And um, I do think that a lot of it was foundational of how my parents uh, raised me and the home that I grew up in, but even more so it's um, even, well, I guess now it's definitely the people that I've surrounded myself with who want to do the work with me um, and for me. And yeah, um, so it's just continued on by the people that I've been surrounded by. Jillian, does that resonate with you or how is that, you know, why do you get out of bed in the morning? Yeah, that absolutely resonates with me. And I mean, Mary and Maddie are two of my closest friends, so I'm not surprised that um, our reason for waking up every morning would be similar. But um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kingdom Impact, like Mary said, I think when I think about it big picture, and I think about meeting Jesus for the first time in heaven, that image of being in the throne room and, and the visual of, of his face and that first encounter with him, it makes me emotional every time I talk about it because that's, that's the reason I wake up every morning. And if I didn't have that kingdom perspective in mind, I don't think it would be worth it. Um, to carry out my vocation. Um, and so something I've been talking to my roommate a lot about recently is what would it look like if we lived every day caring about the things that would make it into heaven and what makes it into heaven that's people. And so um, I would also tie that into service to people and using my gifts and talents in order to serve people best. Um, and for me personally, that's community building. And so that's the reason that I'm in the event space. That's the reason I'm in wedding coordination. Um, it's because I feel that my gifts are best used in order to bridge people together and unify people, um, whether they realize it's for kingdom impact or not. Um, that's how I feel I can best serve people and really the overall picture of why I wake up every day. So yes, very, very parallel to Mary's answer as well. And, and is that something that, you know, you know, that was always there from your childhood or something that developed more recently? Yeah, I grew up in the church similar to Mary, but my 
upbringing definitely wasn't um, forced upon me as far as where my faith developed into. My parents introduced my brother and I to a Christian household and to the church, but they definitely never, nothing was forced upon us. They were kind of like, it's here if you need it, but we want you to grow and develop into whoever you want to be and whatever you believe in. So I would say for me personally, that individual why or that my individual relationship with Jesus definitely developed when I entered high school and started wrestling and questioning things for myself for the first time instead of, oh, my parents believe this, therefore I believe this. Um, So I would say from high school age on is where that um, individual calling really developed for me personally. Thank you. Maybe. Yes. So kind of just to echo both of those women, um, like Jillian said, we are all in community together. So I think it's really a beautiful thing to get to walk and run alongside people who share the same values. But mine truly is very, very much, I would say the same at the root of truly, I was just telling a friend this the other day, but I can't imagine waking up every morning not having my faith. I think that's genuinely the reason why I am driven and am very passionate about many different causes um, and paths. And so truly, I believe it's just like my faith and my conviction that um, Jesus made a sacrifice for me and that I'm completely in debt that my life isn't my own, that even my body isn't my own. It was bought at a price. And so how can I spend every moment that was purchased for me by the perfect son of God to further build that kingdom, to further impact people and just to share his goodness and his heart with people who don't need it and who need that desperately. And so that's definitely, I would say what drives me and what's led me to the point where I am now and hopefully what will carry me into my future. And is it for you also something that you grew up with or that came later? Yeah, so I also grew up um, kind of in the church, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents definitely have a faith of their own, but I wouldn't say that like our family really cultivated that together. Like I definitely was introduced to Christ at a young age and became a follower of Christ when I was younger, but I think it kind of became much more tangible and real to me once I was also more middle school, high school age and started to really have to face more actual adult real world issues. Um, And I think there was definitely one instance when I was in high school and I got to do some work. So I grew up in Southern California. Mm -hmm. um, And so Mexico was like a 30 minute drive away. Um, And so I got to do some work with my church um, in this one neighborhood in Mexico where there was a lot of poverty and just gang violence and things like that. Um, And just remember forming relationships with children who were my age, but had a completely different set of opportunities and just feeling really convicted of the Lord sees them and they have purpose. And yet they were born 30 minutes away from me and like have a completely different set of challenges that they're facing um and so how can i show them that they are seen and that they are loved um and so i feel like that has really instilled into me this like deep passion for people of all nations and people of all sets of opportunities um just to feel empowered and also feel um seen and loved um by the lord and so that's definitely i think where that kind of root really deepened and took hold of me and i think that's something that still drives me today Great. No, th- thanks to you all for sh- for sharing that. If if I ask you, um, you know, what makes your fellow students, and for some, you know, you're you're just you know in between studies, but uh, you know, you look around, uh, you know, in your on your campus or where you live, uh, among your generation, um, what makes them tick? What do you see around uh, you? Do they have a similar drive as you do, or is that different? What do you see, what do you see happening? Yeah, I think um, that's a that's an interesting question because I think oftentimes we think about the things that are diffusing the people in our generation, and um, I think I was talking to someone the other day and just realized that my grandparents' generation really cared about the eight to five, they would go home and that they would be home with their family in the evening. And like, that was their structure. And then my dad's generation. So the 50 year old, 60 year olds really, really worked hard for the place that they wanted to be. And it was kind of a cutthroat culture where they would do whatever it took. 
And now um, I was talking to my dad about this even too. And just our generation as a manager, he sometimes gets frustrated because it feels like our generation will just do just enough, but not really go above and beyond like the generation above us. And so looking through the generations, it's been interesting to kind of see the work ethic and the drive. And um, I think that does go back to this question of like, what makes us tick? And I look at um, my friends who I graduated with and a lot of them care about their job. They want to make money. They want to be successful. They want to be known and appreciated. But I think that keyword there was appreciated is if they don't feel appreciated or valued wherever they are vocationally or with the things that they're doing at their time, that's that's not somewhere that they're going to continue to invest. And so um, I think kind of roundabout way to get to the answer of that question is what I see is um, what makes someone tick is feeling valued, feeling seen, feeling like um, change and impact is occurring, whatever it is they're doing, and that it's worth their time. Time is so valuable and precious that our generation doesn't have a lot of it to spare yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's probably the key of um, what makes us tick. And what I see um, is if you feel like you're, you are adding value and being valued. Um, so. A, a quick um, a question to you. Uh, before I ask the others, um, when, where, yeah, when, and what was that a moment where you decided this is what I would like to study? How, how did that happen? Yeah. So I originally, when I graduated high school, I knew I wanted to go to Belmont all my life and um, ended up going to Ball State, which is a state university in Indiana for a year. And I was a communications major. I kind of just picked it. And then I ended up going to S SLP, which is speech language pathology, because I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to communicate and I knew I wanted to love people well, but I didn't want to be a therapist. I didn't want to be um, any type of like mental health counselor or go into medicine. So I kind of just picked what I thought would work. And Belmont has an undergrad for social entrepreneurship. It's the only one in the nation and it was the first one. Um, so our program is really unique. And I, I came and I picked it. And I remember the first day in class sitting there being like, man, I care about all these things. I care about human trafficking. I care about the environment. I care about um, the homeless. I care about all of these social um, ills, the societal ills that both the U.S. faces and the world. Um, a lot of that goes back to I went on a lot of mission trips going up and I saw it, but not for long extended periods of time and not in depth. Um, and when I saw that I could merge my gifts and talents as a business minded individual with the idea of having that social impact, that's where I knew I needed to be. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Um, <laughs> I think about that a lot of, and I don't think I'm in my forever job, but I'm in a job where I'm being poured into and the gifts and talents that, um, I have are being stretched and grown in ways that I think I'll look back in 10, 15, 20 years and say, wow, this was such a transformative experience. Um, but I know that it's not a lifelong position that I'll stay in. Um, partly because I, there's not a whole lot of room to grow where I'm at, but also um, I think that going back to the idea of being valued is I'm super valued in, in this specific role. And um, my degree isn't really being a whole lot used, but I think Belmont as an institution is using it to take what I know and what Nashville is um, currently the state it's in with the highest incarceration rate per capita in the nation and be a, a force for good. And I think that that excites me. And that's, that's why I chose the degree I did is I want to be a force for good. And the people around me, um, have different gifts and skills and talents and perspectives to bring to the table to unite that. Thanks, Mary. Mary, I would like to, to ask you, uh, the question about what do you see, you know, among your fellow students, you know, what drives them? Um, I would say I really feel like kind of similarly to what Mary said, um, something that I see so much in what students and just our generation really is driven by, I think, is just belonging for a feeling of meaning and significance. Um, and also, I think just happiness. I feel like um, kind of like Mary said, I think in our parents' generation, generations before us, we've seen almost this like um, pathway for survival and for success and what that looks like. And I think a lot of people in our generation kind of see through the like eight to five and like what that looks like and are actually 
finding that they can make a living doing other sorts of jobs or just, you know, maybe getting away with working slightly less hard than our parents did. Um, and I think that instead of only finding our significance through our job title, I think we're just looking for it in whatever way that can, whether that be followers and a following, whether that be through money or whether that just be through finding our own happiness and focusing on ourselves, whatever that may look like for that specific person. Um, and I think those are definitely both just human desires that we probably all feel as well. But I think because of our faith, I feel like that really finds a new level of meaning as well, as well as happiness that we get through that. And so I think our peers who don't necessarily have that same faith are just searching for those same things in completely different areas. And then really whatever area they can find it, which there's so many voices telling people where to find that. So it's really easy to kind of fill your schedule with things that seem to be promising you that sense of significance or happiness. And and how did you come to this path? I mean, you're, you're going to start your MBA. So yeah, how did you, you pick your studies? Yeah. So um, I also just kind of, like I said, since a young age, just felt like this pressure to, okay, how can I use this sense of privilege that I've been born into um, just to empower other people? And I realized like what like riches and privilege and education I've been given compared to the vast majority of the world and even history, like women have never had this much like power and agency. And so how can I really steward that well in order to further the kingdom and in order to empower other people? And so I definitely had lots of different areas I was interested in for a really small period. I wanted to be a doctor, but I hate blood. And so I was like, that probably is not for me. Um, and so I was just kind of trying to research other areas that I could um, really use my gifts and really found that something that is really sustainable and beautiful is business because it really does empower people. And instead of me coming up with a solution for someone, when someone's able to use their own entrepreneurial and innovative skills in order to um, create beautiful things in their own community, that that is such a sustainable and empowering way for them to uplift others and to just steward their gifts well and to continue to inspire their own community. And so how can we raise up um, leaders in other communities? And also was really considering ministry um, and still sort of am mm. like Mary. I also don't really know what exactly my future holds at all, but I really believe that um, through business and social entrepreneurship and just entrepreneurship in general, um, I've gotten to be a part of projects um, and different roles where I've really seen the beauty and the power of that um, and how people around the globe have been able to use business in a really God honoring and community empowering way. And so would love to just continue to build up my skills through a master's program um, so that I have more to contribute and bring um, and just more value to add. And so hopefully I'll be able to do that. Um, but I would also love to just see in the future, like how that intersects with some aspect of vocational ministry or just ministry in general. So still don't have a solid answer what that's going to look like, but mm -hmm. I'm excited to be on that ride. <laughs> Great. So thanks. Thanks a lot for that. And I will, I will, um, remember that you know that you did not that you chose not to study medicine because of the blood I always say because I realized I had to study too hard but uh, <laughs> this, yeah this that sounds, too that too. sounds better <laughs> hey Jillian what do you see among fellow students you know what makes them tick according wow. to you yeah this is all so good and as the girls have been speaking I've been thinking of a million different there's so many rabbit holes we could go into for this mm -hmm. um and so to piggyback off of what they said, though, I think they're so right in that people desire to be known, seen, and loved. And I don't think, so while I think that's the deeper root, that's the truth of it, I actually would argue against that's what people actually recognize what makes them take to be. I think if you asked a lot, and is this focused towards students or towards the youth, correct? Yeah, youth, yeah. In general. I would say, while that's the truth of it, the underlying root, I would say if you asked a lot of students or youth to quest that question, they wouldn't know that. They wouldn't recognize that. And I think society tells us that it should be what drives you monetarily or financially, what is instantly gratifying, um, what's going to drive you to happiness, right? And I think a lot of youth don't recognize the difference between happiness and joy either. I think that um that whole entire theme of like do what makes you happy chase what what's going to make you happy in the moment right and like 
pursue what career is going to bring is going to make a lot of money you know that's even the the culture that I grew up in um in California a lot of my upbringing was surrounded by secular culture and so that's what I raised what I was raised under thinking you know I need to pursue the career that's going to make the most money and I need to do what's going to make me happy those two money and happiness are the big the big flashing lights right um and so then to bridge everything into the follow-up question you've been asking um of what did it for me or what kind of like flipped that switch for me I think it was knowing my identity and really learning like knowing myself and I don't think I knew like truly knew myself until college in those courses I had a lot of leadership courses they minored in leadership and a lot of those courses were almost a therapy session of like we'd sit in a circle and our professor would ask us uh, we would take all of those personality quizzes like the Enneagram what kind of what kind of temperament style personality style what are your strengths strength finder all of those quizzes kind of and while in the moment they're like click 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 this is kind of silly they really all came together to create like oh like I didn't even realize like that's something I'm really passionate about or like that's a gift that I have or like I didn't realize that meant so much to me but knowing that that's my love language x y and z you know what I mean so all those coming together for me personally really helped me correlate like okay, who am I? What are my gifts? What, what's my why? So that's the, what makes you tick is what in our leadership program we would call your why. Um, and so I would say the, the problem here is a lot of people don't know what their why is. A lot of people don't know themselves well enough to be able to identify like um, what they're passionate about, what their unique giftings are and what their why is. And so because of that lack of identity, they fall into saying, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to drive my life to what's going to bring me money and happiness. And so that's all my thoughts dumped into one big mm -hmm. spiel. <laughs> oh, great. No, this, this definitely help, helpful. Um, uh, for you also, the question in terms of how did you find your, you know, how did you decide, you know, I would like to study this? Yeah. Like, how did that happen? Um, I was also giggling when the two of you were mentioning mm -hmm. the science, the blood stuff, because my dad's a dentist, my mom's a dental hygienist, and my brother is in dental school studying to be an oral surgeon. My uncle's a dentist, my cousin's a dentist. So we have this whole dental medical family, right? And so growing up, I just thought, you know, my parents are totally accepting of what I would want to do, but I probably will pursue something along the lines of the medical field or I'll at least like dabble in biology or something and see what comes of it and so I actually tried that I went into undergrad um, as a communication major but on the side knew like okay if this is a family thing like I'm just going to see what I can do there so I tried to minor in health science at one point two days into chemistry class I ran out of the room crying and called my dad and he was at work in the office working on somebody stepped out of the office and I was crying and I was like dad I can't do it I, I'm not cut out for this I had probably studied for nine hours one day to just after the first day of school so I could kind of be like following along the second day of class couldn't even it just didn't come naturally to me and in hindsight that was God telling me girl I've gifted you with so many of these amazing things but chemistry is not one of them and that's okay it doesn't have to be chemistry because your family does all of these biology biology things doesn't mean that you have to and my parents were so understanding of that and they responded so graciously to it of Jillian you just because we do this doesn't mean you have to we never inflicted that on you I'm so sorry if we gave that impression that you had to like we want you to do what you're passionate about and what you're called to do and so that was a turning point for me of you know I knocked on that door it slammed shut in my face we're gonna pivot and go a different direction and so from there I started interning under a couple of different event planners. Um, I worked for Orange Coast Magazine, which is a magazine company in Orange County. And I was under their event marketing department. And I realized, oh my gosh, I what makes me tick is like hospitality and being a people person and being the first greeting face of a, an event when somebody walks in and I'm able to say, hey, welcome, come this way, let me help you find my seat. And that was the first little, such a minor, minor detail, but it was the first glimmer of like, oh, I think I'm meant to be in the event industry. I think I'm meant to serve people. I think I'm meant to be behind the scenes of creating something that bridges people together. And from there, it just went one thing to the next. And then I started dabbling in weddings and then led me here. And so, yeah, it's a little backstory of what's 
led me to where I am. <laughs> and, and, and last thought, I will say similar to the other girls too, I'm, I'm not done. I haven't, I haven't reached the gold mine yet with where I am vocationally. And ultimately I want to be a mom. I want to be a mom so badly. That also the <laughs> reason that um, this career path is speaking to me right now is because it's something that I could eventually do part-time or something I could kind of put to the side and could still get to do it in a smaller capacity, but be a full-time mom. And so I also think it's a really great investment of an industry to be in right now. Now, so some of you mentioned um, already, you know, we have a lot of challenges in the world. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned, I mean, I think all of you talked about, you know, we're privileged in this position. So that means there are other people that have challenges. Um, so in my podcast, I talk about, uh, I ask my guests, um, in my regular podcast, I ask my guests about, you know, what worries you, um, you know, and a whole wide scale of, of things come up. But when I ask, where do you see hope? Uh, the majority of them say the next generation, the youth, you guys. And my, my question to you is, um, yeah, what, what do you think about it? What is your reaction to, you know, that almost all my guests are saying, you know, yeah, the, the next generation, that's our hope. Would like to start. I can. Um, hmm. Yeah, I. I like that. I receive that. <laughs> I think as a gener someone that's in this generation, I receive that, and it's empowering. It's hopeful. Um, you you mentioned the difficulties. One of the things that I think that we have going for us that a lot of people do view as difficult from a generations um years ahead of us is the fact that we are so in tune with our emotion we're so in tune with um like who we want to be and we're the way to get there and i think sometimes that creates pressure but down deep i love what jillian said love it i think she's so right but at the core of it is we are hungry we are a hungry generation for um the truth and at this point, what I see is a generation of people seeking truth in a lot of different ways and really quickly finding that no truth satisfies other than the ultimate truth of who Christ is. And um, it's the avenues of money. It's the avenues of power and fame. It's the avenues of, um, I don't know, success or relational. And at the end of the day, like our, our generation, sexuality is a huge thing we talk about in our generation. And I think at the end of the day, what we're finding is that um, we are seeking and we're hungry, but I will take someone that's hungry over someone that's complacent any day of the week. Because if you're coasting and you're just doing okay, then you think you've got it figured out. And that's a scary place to be. But with the hunger and the drive and the desire to love people well, I think um, in a generation full of Christians, our, our, our community is really strong. We are Christ followers. We're not just Christians. We don't want a religion. We want a relationship. And with that relationship, I think what it's done is transform our hearts and our minds and even our eyes to see people. And we see people. And when we see them, it's not like a, oh, God, like, please help them. It's a, hey, how can I help? And I think that there's an empowerment that our generation wants to step into. And it's something that, honestly, I feel like I'm finding against the generations above us. My mom is terrified that I'm a single female in Nashville that if I were to walk outside there's a likelihood that on a street corner there would be someone homeless and if that's the case if I approach them I'm in danger and there's wisdom and I think that I mean the Bible's chock full of talking about what wisdom and discernment looks like and being wise and where you put yourself physically but when I see that I don't want to run from it it's not something that's oh someone else will do it it's okay, is this a moment where I can step up and intercede in prayer? Is this a moment where I can step up and give financially? Is this a moment where I can step up and find something in my car that has is food so I can help that person? And I think that hunger for um, meaning and value and outside of vocation purpose is something that we're stepping into when we're trying to figure it out for the people behind us, those high schoolers, those middle schoolers. I think we're also really willing to mentor and pour into those middle schoolers and high schoolers. We see the challenges they face. And even in six years since I've been in high school, uh, my brother's a senior in high school right now. He's graduating next week. And the, the challenges he faces 
are so different than what I faced six years ago, but I started to face them with the whole social media thing. I started to see them with, um, like, I think technology is a huge, 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 um, thing that is shaping our generation and where you can either go for it or against it, but it doesn't really matter. It's here. And so with all of these things, um, I, I think that there's hope because we are hungry to that and we know that there's more and we're just in a moment of time where we're figuring out what that looks like and how to step into that, but we're willing to do it. And so, um, I, I think it's fun to do this with friends. I think it's fun to do it with community. I think it's fun to do it with people that love and ha- love Jesus and have the same value system because they champion you and can support you in ways that a secular or non-believer cannot. Um, I have some really, really close non-believing friends, but I told my mom, my mom was in Nashville this week and I said, I can be really close with them and I can love them and they can love me and I can see them like Jesus and they can respect what I believe. And I'm so grateful for them and they teach me so much. But at the end of the day, there is going to be something missing when that that relationship, that friendship isn't rooted in Christ. And when I have that Christ um, unlikely friendship, those unlikely friendships can be unlikely. We can have every interest that is dissimilar. But because we're united with the blood of Jesus, there is a power that um, we can step into together. And I think that um, our generation is seeing that and they're apt to it. And I think that, again, that generation just above us, they exited purity culture and have been so, so, so hurt by the church. Um, I was on social media the other day and saw this probably middle 30s. A mom talk about how hurt she's been by the church, but she wants to give it a chance again. And I think it's because she's seeing people that are wanting to live in love and live in a relationship and not a religion. And because of all of that, um, I think our generation is the one that's going to be able to turn it around because we're wanting to fight against what the culture says is okay, but also fight against um, what even the church has deemed to be okay when we know that that's not necessarily biblical. Sometimes it's just legalism. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Mary. Jillian. Uh, I think the blanket statement that the next generation is the hope is is not fully correct, but there's like leeway there. Like like Sailor Mary, I, I receive that and I'm humbled by that, but I also think the truth is that the hope is in the gospel and the promise that we have in Revelation that Eden will be restored. But I think, yes, our generation will have and has already had a big impact in that. I think we're probably one of the most, in a very long time, one of the most open generations because of all that's been, I guess, allowed to us because of social media. We have the most access to information, whether that's misinformation or disinformation or whether that's truth or whether that's misleading. But we have so much access um, that I think we have so much access to education and to different opinions. Um, So it comes with double edge, right? Pros and cons there. But at the same time, I think that's allowed our generation to be... um, emotionally intelligent and yeah we just have access to a lot of information so I think it's brought us together to be a very open openly communicative generation that um I'm kind of at a loss of words on how to describe what I'm what I'm trying to say but help me out ladies you know what I'm trying to say? Like our generation, like we are the most like open and adaptive. Like we have so much access to all this information that I think we've, we're kind of like this co-collaborative, like, you know what I mean? He's asking you for help, uh, Maddie and Mary. Yeah, chime in, chime in. I'm not sure if this is exactly what you're saying. Fully agree with what you said of like we are just very much like open books like I think we don't feel the need to cover up or withhold from sharing our thoughts or reactions or feelings and I think we're a lot more comfortable with sitting in all of those areas um some could say to a fault honestly a lot of people do say that about our generation um 
And, but I do totally agree with you, Jillian, of, I think it does allow for this aspect of some sense of unity, even though we live in a very divided world, but I think we're all aware of our own humanity in a really unique way. Um, and I think we're like, not ashamed of that. Like past generations maybe have been, um, I don't think we really apologize for our feelings or for our own opinions as much as people may have felt the need to, um, in the past, but totally agree with what you said of I also just feel like as much as I love that people view us with a lot of hope and I'm encouraged by that I also think that it would just be like such a lie for us to fully claim that as what we are because definitely we are still just another generation of broken people but our brokenness might just look slightly different um and I think it is a really beautiful thing to see as well just um, how open our generation is. And I do think as well, like Mary had mentioned, like we are a very hungry generation. I think we are very aware of our desires. Um, we really have been encouraged from a young age to go after those desires. And I think if we could get more of our generation to desire God, like what a crazy, beautiful thing that would be. Um, and I'm definitely encouraged by the openness and the honesty of people whose lives have been radically transformed by the gospel um, and their openness to share that with other people. Um, and I think I am really just praying that our generation will continue to be poured into by other generations. Like, I don't know if Mary and Jillian would agree with this, but it seems like, I don't know if it's the technology, if it's just like the different attitude of openness and feelings and all of that, but it seems like there's such a divide between kind of our generation and the one before us. Um, and I think a really common misconception is that this generation feels like we are way more educated, way more woke. Um, maybe we have some sense of entitlement um, that we're a little bit more evolved even than like our parents and we kind of can and yeah, I think I just have seen a lot recently how generations kind of belittle each other and find the faults in each other. And I think this is such a beautiful time for older generations to pour into this generation, because I know the three of us are definitely always craving mentorship and wisdom from people who have just done this life longer and walked the walk a lot longer than we have. And so my encouragement would be um, to not put your entire hope in this generation, but instead to just put your hope in the gospel and to also just pour into this generation because we really do need that guidance. And I think sometimes we may not be the best at asking for that help, but we definitely all want that and feel that need deeply. Um, and so I just want to encourage older generations to step into that. And even if there's not a young person asking them to be their mentor, to get around someone who's younger than them and to just share with them and to invite them to ask questions and to see the way that they do life and they do ministry and they do work and faith um, and family, because I think all of those things um, we are craving to know more about, but we don't always have the language to ask for that. And even if we're not aware of how much we need that, we need that really, really badly. And so that would be kind of my encouragement to older generations. Thank you, Mary. Um, my colleague Diana has has to go, so I would like to give her an opportunity before she she because she has to catch a plane. Um, Diana, you have any question or anything you would like to uh, to mention? I know you're you're somewhere <laughs> where you don't want to be on camera, so but you can ask the question. Uh, yes, I'm I'm I am here still listening. Um, yeah, I just want to say first off, just thank you all for for your answers. It's been great listening. Um. But yeah, the only question that I have is one that I sort of, that I that I always like to ask is, if there is a way for us as an NGO to engage with you better or create an easier pathway for you to engage with the nonprofit world and with civil society in general, um, what are, what could that look like? Because um, I know typically, you know, people either go into this world for a career or oftentimes they'll do internships or volunteer. And so is that sort of the form in which you would like it to stay in or are there ways that you would like to engage more and how can we make it possible for you to do that? Um, I love this question because this is actually a huge like passion topic of mine is figuring out the ways that we can form more intersections and opportunities for our generation to partner with organizations, even if that's not in the vocational sense. Um, and I think this may not be very helpful because it's not the most specific, but finding just ways that people in our generation can rally around causes without that having to be an entire career move. Um, and I know a lot of 
amazing NGOs don't have clear volunteer opportunities or a clear sense of a job that we can physically do. But I think, again, we are a generation that longs for meaning and that longs to take action. I feel that we're very action oriented as well. Um, I think one thing that I um, feel that might resonate with our generation in some sense is using advocacy as a tool. So whether that be through social media or just through um, having some sort of way that we can, whether that's sharing something on social media or having some sort of clear call to action and clear step we can take, um, I think is really helpful. Just making that like a tangible ask. Um, even if that looks like, I know sometimes NGOs are hesitant to ask our generation just for money, um, especially most of us are younger. So it's not like we can give a whole lot in that sense, but I think just providing creative ways that we can say yes to something um, and take a step in that moment. Um, And I do feel like our generation is really passionate about using our voice in general. So if it has any advocacy um, aspect to it, I think that can definitely be a plus. Um, And I definitely think social media is a really good tool to use. Um, so that's kind of my two cents on that. Can you repeat the question? What kind of support we would need to launch a nonprofit sector? Um, no, not necessarily to to get into that yourself, but if there are ways that you would like to engage with nonprofits, if volunteering is sort of the one way that you'd like to do it, that's you know that's great as well. But um, yeah, we just we always like to ask if there are ways that we can, as nonprofits, we can how we can engage with you more to make it more enticing for you to want to engage with us. That's you know not necessarily the more traditional ways of giving money or going into it as a career. Got it, got it. Um, I really like what Maddie said about not making it a whole career move, um, but able to be doable as a part time or a volunteer opportunity. Um, but the first thing that popped in my mind was the need for a safety need. I think the first thing I think of when I think of nonprofit is sometimes like, okay, is this, is there a structured parameter around, is it safe? You know, and it totally depends on what the circumstances, but maybe communicating with the public um, that there are safety protocols in case, um, depending on location or demographic or um, what the specific nonprofit is, but making sure that it is a safe environment. Yeah, um, I was thinking about this and I think uh, volunteering is something going back to that idea of time and how much we treasure it as a generation of how do you, this sounds crazy, but how do you engage someone with the least time but most impactful time that they have? So if they can give an hour a week, what is something that you can either give them to either learn or take away that's going to give them the resources that later on that they could give either, either more time or more money um, long-term. And I think that, especially in our generation, getting them young, there's people that have a heart for all different types of societal and social ills, um, but they don't know a lot about it. And unfortunately, most people don't have the priority of going to the source and figuring out and learning about those um, issues and how to help. So having those things easily and readily available and um, communicated clearly and effectively, I think is the key, like um, for me, I, there's something I'm working on in Nashville right now, but it's because I can look up the statistic, I can remember the statistic, and I can repeat the statistic. So the simplicity of the highest incarceration rate per capita in the nation being North Nashville, which is the 37208 zip code, is so impactful, and it's created a, a, a charge in my heart to not only be able to remember that statistic, but then also say, well, and now what are we going to do about it? And so then from there, I've been able to have countless conversations um, with other nonprofits who are doing work in that area and asking them, what are you doing? How can Belmont partner with that? And um, like, I think the education piece, but the simplicity of like what you're trying to communicate, not overcomplicating it um, is huge for our generation because we have so much information coming at us 24 seven, especially when you're in school, that the education piece is super important and critical um, for the mission, but it also needs to be very simplistic. Great. Uh, thank you all. That, those were really great, insightful answers. Um, so I do have to step out to get to another appointment, but it was all, it was really great meeting all of you and thank you once again. And I, uh, and I'll be sure to listen to the rest of this because I'm, I'm excited to hear what else you guys have to say, but um, thanks. And I'll hopefully see you some other time. <laughs> Bye. See you, Diana.
Um, yeah, so I, what I I think at least maybe you have been involved with with uh, some uh, justice and humanitarian related work. I I think that's what I picked up. Are you guys um, uh, involved in any uh, justice or humanitarian organization at the moment? And if so, can you maybe explain a little bit what you're doing? Yeah, I am currently not uh, volunteering at an NGO just um, because I just started a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And so sure. trying to figure out the timing of all of that. But there are times and spaces where I do volunteer. So it's one-off events. It's not a consistent mm -hmm. commitment. But if um, there's a Habitat Day that I can attend, I try to do that. Or if there is an opportunity um, as a house church or as with the church to go and serve the city, I will always take up on that. Um, but it's not consistent. Throughout college, I was really consistent. I worked and interned with a nonprofit called Caring Heart Ministries, which worked with immigrants and refugees. Hmm. And then um, I did a few other internships through nonprofits and then ended up working for Belmont with the specific focus and um, hope of working with Josh Yates, who is our innovation hubs director and working with lots of nonprofits. So it's not a specific one. It's more of a resource hub in how to launch and sustain a nonprofit. So yes, I am currently still involved. It's just not in the that I once was or hope to be again. Thank you. Kind of going back to what Mary said, just also about like finding time in the middle of everything to mm -hmm. try and be consistent I think that's proven to be definitely an obstacle for me as well um but I have been involved in this ministry slash nonprofit that works with um children who go to um schools that are from the projects and so I've been able to kind of be a mentor slash just like join them in their after school ministry program not very consistently unfortunately um and so that's definitely been a struggle um it seems that a lot of volunteering opportunities happen during working hours and so that's kind of something I'm still trying to navigate um and so sadly I haven't been the most consistent with that but that has been a really cool um, learning opportunity and kind of volunteering in a different space. Um, and then in college, I got to intern with a organization that worked with human trafficking survivors. And so really loved that work. Um, and then I also did an internship with a global nonprofit um, and I'm able to kind of still be involved in that through sponsorship um, of a little girl who lives in Colombia. And so that's kind of right now what that looks like um and then also just being involved like in the local church um that's been a really beautiful place to kind of invest myself and honestly just works better typically with my schedule to kind of join in on the church's efforts but I do think that finding opportunities that work with um like the nine to five schedule has kind of been a challenge and so mm -hmm. definitely something I'm still researching and trying just to investigate a little bit more understood yeah Jenny. Yeah, I'm actually not involved in it with any nonprofit organizations mm. right now, any big commitments other than serving through our local church as well. And in the past, um, any involvement that I've had with nonprofits has been through an organization or a club or a class um, or through the church, but I've never really stepped two feet in and, and had some kind of part-time or full-time commitment before. So this is really good food for thought um, for where I can be pouring into in the future too okay and and if i would ask you you know for which course or courses would you um, like to be involved is that a specific course or hey you're nodding mary so which course would that be for you yeah for me personally i have a heart for the next generation so mm. um i would say investing in youth is a huge is a huge piece of my mm -hmm. heart i'm constantly um looking for opportunities to do that um it's funny you ask that question because it's something that's been on my heart the last few weeks of just how do I step into that with the nine to five so Maddie I'm glad you brought that up um I think feeding even into Diana's question of what can we look for it's how do you provide opportunities with a full-time job to um partner with nonprofits is a huge there's a huge need there because I have scoured Nashville and we have so many nonprofits and it's just not feasible um it's it's tough um but the cause would definitely be either foster care and adoption our foster care system in the united states is so broken 
Um, and it's not only broken for the child and it, but also the families that choose to foster. Um, and then also, um, the youth of specifically low-income areas. So, um, like I said, North Nashville is a huge, huge, um, has a hold of my heart right now and a huge spot that I'm looking at investing in. Um, and that kind of feeds into the idea of incarceration and even just modeling well. Um, over the last year, I've realized that all it takes is one person to be in your corner. And if you have one person in your corner championing you, you are set up for success better than um, you could have ever thought just simply because you have someone that says you can do it when a lot of these specifically uh, students and children um, have dads specifically in the in, in in jail and it's just been generation after generation and um, they've never seen anything different they've never never had a different model and so they don't even know or believe that um, something could be different uh, I went to prison my last last spring um, and one of the young dads looked at me and said I was told if I wasn't in jail by 18 I'd be dead by 21 and then he lived into that because that's what he knew um, and as someone that has never grown up in that, those circumstances are in that state, I, I really took a toll on my brain because I couldn't comprehend it. Hmm. But it is truth is if I started this podcast by talking about how my parents modeled for me, who I am and what I value, why wouldn't that be the truth if that's in just a negative sense for someone else? Hmm. Um, and so those are kind of the things that I'm thinking through and the causes that I really care about right now. And, and, um, so did, those are courses within the U.S., not global, right? So, so yeah, I, I would say that um, the idea of the U.S. needs are definitely there. I would say global needs. Um, there's still some level of that. It's definitely a little bit more so on the idea and path of poverty, if that you go that route. And also my little brother is adopted from uh, Guatemala. And so even just that type of foster care system and adoption, I think those are that's still something that um, really interests me a lot mm -hmm. of um, how are we providing and preparing families who are fostering or adopting even. Um, yeah. Understood. Yeah. Yeah, I think honestly, for me, I don't have a super specific answer. I find that the causes that I'm most passionate about just have to do with people in general. And I think it's just that kind of conviction that people, like if we are all literally eternal, like we're going to live forever, like I want to invest in something that is, you know, going to be around forever. And just that conviction of every single person is created with a purpose and they may not know it or feel it or have the um, same opportunities as I, how can I use the opportunities I have um, to empower them? And so I think that's taken a lot of different forms and different causes, but I find that um, really people who are in poverty, um, that's like a huge weight that I feel, um, as well as human trafficking. And those are both very systemic issues and often intertwined. And so kind of just people in general who just have less power and privilege than I have as a American female um, living. And so how can I use what I have in order to empower them, whether that be in our neighborhood or in another country? Um, I find that it's really people um, in general that are the issue that I want to rally behind. Okay, thanks. Yeah, for me, it would be childcare for those who can't afford it, mentorship, something surrounding mentorship for young women, um, and then anti-human trafficking for sure. I think all three of those are realms of that that like somewhat a young female can relate to and so maybe some a call to action or food for thought for after this podcast would be um like how can we better communicate these opportunities to places where the to target to a target audience so if there's something around child care mentorship where are we going where are we advertising for these kinds of nonprofits, or is if we're advertising for anti-human trafficking nonprofit. Um, what would be the best audience to um, recruit volunteers or to be able to spur some action in the right places? When I was listening to you, you know, you you kind of also mentioned that the causes that you would like to be involved in have to do with system changes that need to happen um and 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 there you know i i think what's well basically what we realized i think during COVID is that we are all interconnected 
at least for two weeks we we realized that um as soon as the fact you know we certain populations had vaccine access to the vaccine maybe that interconnectedness connectedness you know concept was gone uh, unfortunately um what i my question to you is you know if we need to realize that we are interconnected and that we are connected with each other what are some good examples of positive connections and negative connections according to you what i'm what i'm looking for is if we kind of you know because of the the system the systematic problems that we have if we have to solve them we need to realize that we are all connected and i think covid real made us realize that we are interconnected mm -hmm. um so there are all kinds of connections in the world uh, today what are according to you some examples of connections that are positive and connections that are more negative or more um, uh, toxic yeah yeah i think that um that's a that's a great question i think when i when i think about the complexity of a lot of these issues is um i think one of the common beliefs or honestly one of the common lies that we've believed as a as a society for so long is is that if you bring all of these smart people to the table um specifically people in that realm of focus or study or emphasis um that that will help solve the problem and yeah there probably is some level of um goodness that will come out of that but if we don't have people with different backgrounds and different experiences and people that are have experienced what um the issue is that we're talking about and seen the system not just from a bird's eye view but lived it and invite those people to the table there's going to be so much um, more goodness that comes out of that than if we just are making decisions for people that we don't um decisions for people that we with experiences that we haven't lived through and I see that a lot recently of um whether it's at the political level or even just the the um national level or state level even of just people making decisions thinking that they know what's best and I think that's such a toxic thing and something that we get into so easily in the United States um because we have a lot of really educated um smart people but just because um, you have that education doesn't mean that you know it's best. And I, I've been convicted of this a lot of I would not walk into someone to another country and say, hey, I know it's best for you. Um, I would walk in and I would hope that I would listen and I would observe and I would understand and I would empathize and I would talk to the people that are affected by whatever it is um, that I'm observing and bring them along and then ask them their opinion um, and I don't think we do that well as a generation at all or a society at all um, because we think we know it's best. And so I think that's such a toxic thing, but it kind of swings back into the so and what are the positive things is when it comes to the complex issues, I think um, Josh Yates, like I said earlier, he's done this really well as he brings strategic networks to the table of different interests, people that you wouldn't think need to be sitting together. But when they get together, their different expertise and interests and experiences and all of the things I just mentioned get brought to the table. And it's a strategy to think long-term of how do you fix something so complex that not one people group thought process or um, decision can be made, but it's a series. So one of the things that I think about is if you have a nonprofit and that nonprofit is working with specifically food insecurity. A lot of people that are in a region that experience food insecurity are probably going to use this nonprofit. That's great. But if they don't have partnership or um, friendship or um, ability to resource out to the things that they are not skilled or proficient in because they're trying to either be servicing too much with not enough depth or only that one thing, um, we're failing our client or our customer or our, our, our the people we're trying to serve because we're not able to support them in the way that they need to be supported. If they have food insecure, they probably have all of these other issues. And so it's finding that network of people to come along and really invest. Um, and it's not a competition. And I think that's something that we talk a lot about, especially in my undergrad is Nonprofits sometimes are fighting for the same donor dollars, but we're all fighting for the same outcome, which is the wealth and flourishing of the person and people and individuals and group of people that we um, are serving. And if we're trying to serve all of these people, it is so wise 
to steward all of our resources, not into one specific nonprofit, but to do it in a way that creates a wealth of a network for the individuals to come and tap into and be supported by to help them out of the system. I think the difference between charity and social impact is charity is giving and that's needed and you need to meet the basic needs. But social impact happens when you are equipping the individual to help themselves out. And so it's the teaching the man to fish rather than just giving him the fish. You might need to give him a fish for a little bit, but then if you don't ever teach him to fish, he's just relying on systems that are going to either continue to enable the suppression. And so helping them have a voice, advocate for themselves, the skills they need to get out of that poverty or situation or whatever it is, I think is super important. And I think that um, comes at the nonprofit level because you also don't know what you don't know. And so that's where those people can step in and say, let's partner together, bring along the people that's lived those experiences and then provide a buffet of different of different um, networks and people and thinkers um, to help a well-rounded outcome um, happen and occur. Well, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> you have anything to add? Gillian Meddy? No? Um, yeah, thank you so much. Any any questions for me? Thank you. No? Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Really appreciate the questions. Yeah, thank you. It was so great to meet with you and hear from you and definitely am encouraged by this conversation. So thank you. Okay, thanks a lot. And thank all the you. best with what you do. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.